Well, I get to continue this series, but last week, Jared kicked off our series called Act with a powerful message for anyone who's a part of Evergreen or who wants to be. Because the truth is, and what he talked to us about is a great description of what a disciple is. And I loved it, it's so succinct. Uh, The message was more than this, so please listen to the whole thing if you haven't. But I think that it's important that we all operate off this same definition stated so well. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and living on mission with Jesus. So I invite you to read that with me. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and living on mission with Jesus. So what happened next when the crowd of 3,000 plus people, those are just the ones who responded, there were thousands out there, to Peter's message, and they were saved, it says, on the day of Pentecost. This is where our next verb, because every week we have a verb that emerges out of the passage we're looking at in Acts. And that's where our verb comes from this week. Engage. Engage. It's a verb that means to participate or become involved in something, to have your attention and your interest captured by something and to participate in it. So let's start with something that we all do at least some of the time. Okay, but we can all relate to it. Making your bed. I know you wanted to talk about this this morning. Okay, are you ready for this poll? Now, in order to really learn from this, we need for you to be honest. Okay? There will be no judgment in the room about how often you make your bed. Okay, we want to use thinking about making the bed as a way to think about how, what it means to engage. So Dr. Randall Bell, who has his PhD, has been studying high-achieving people in all stages, ages, and walks of life for 25 years. And the thing is, he's been looking for factors that high-achieving people experience in common things that you see across all of their lives. And one key factor that he found that was present in almost all their lives was this one task of making their bed every morning. So now I want to check with you and find out how you do at making your bed. Okay, we won't, we won't determine whether you're high achieving or not, okay, because people that, he was only studying them. So I'm sure that you're amazing, but hands up, we want to look at frequency first. Hands up if you make your bed every day. Okay, hands up if you make your bed most days. Okay, and hands up if you make your bed once in a while. All right, okay, we've got the honest people piping in. Okay, that covers frequency, but we know that engagement is more than just the frequency with which we do something or are interested in something or participate in something. It's also about the effort that we give toward it. So let's talk about that. I have three images up here. Get your hands ready. And we've got one, the fully made bed. Now yours might not look as beautiful or pristine as that one, but it's fully made, right? And number two is the, well, let's say unmade bed with a happy dog on it, okay? And number three is the half-made bed, okay? Half of it's even without sheets if you really look at the picture. But all this to say, which one is, are we most likely to find in your house? How many say number one? When you say making the bed, that's what it means. How many say number two? That's what you mean when you say making the bed. All right. And how many say number three, the partially made? 
Okay, we've got some in every category there. So that's a way to think about engagement. What observations would you have about engagement after doing that exercise? Well, I know one is about this frequency and the effort that you put into it. Because, I mean, if you look at those three pictures, a different amount of effort is required for each of those. So when we say we're engaged in something, it can look really different from person to person, right? Let's read about what it looked like for the early church to engage. As I read this, I would really like it's a very familiar passage for many people. It's Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And as I read it, I'd like you to listen for the verbs and the picture we get of these believers' level of participation, because I'm going to ask you to rate that at the end of it. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So given that engage means to participate or become involved in, to have your interest or attention or participation captured, what, would you, what rating would you give the early church's engagement in the church? How many would say it was low? How many would say it was in the middle? How many would say it was high? Yeah, I mean, this whole paragraph, it's almost a duh question, right? I, I don't mean to insult you with that, but more that it emphasizes to us that this is a picture of high engagement. So engagement starts with a shared commitment. Luke uses the word devoted. Now, the Greek word there is a common word that means to have this steadfast, single-minded commitment to a very certain course of action. And it's used earlier, interestingly, in Acts 1.14, when the 120 people were gathered in the upper room, it says they were praying together, they were devoted to prayer, and they were waiting for the power from on high that Jesus promised them, right there in Jerusalem in that upper room. Same word there, this steadfast devotion to a particular action or commitment. And then it's used again in Acts 6, verse 4. And that's the chapter where we have the dispute about whether the Greek widows are being served as well as the Jewish widows. And they say they appointed a whole group of leaders to wait tables, to distribute the food. Because they said the apostles needed to be devoted to ministry of the word and prayer. Those were their particular things that they were to be committed to. So in the early church, the believers were devoted or committed to four things. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That's straight out of the passage language. But engagement for the believers in the early church meant their interest, their attention, and their participation were wrapped up in these four experiences. I like to think of them experiences, not just actions, but experiences that they had together. So let's look at those four one at a time. And I want to let you know in advance, I'm going to spend most, I'm going to spend more, much more time on the first one because without the first one, the others aren't going to happen. So let's talk about that first one. Show up to grow up together. 
Luke uses the word together three or four times in this brief description of the early church. It really depends on which translation you're reading, how many times you get to see that word. The believers were not flying solo in their faith. They were connected and engaged with one another and in ways that encouraged and sustained and grew their relationship with Jesus. Now, their favorite meeting place, we're told, was the temple at the eastern edge of the outer court, and it was called Solomon's Colonnade. Jesus used to collect there, and crowds would collect, and he would be teaching. And they continued that after Jesus' death and resurrection as people who were his emissaries, his representatives, his ambassadors. So the disciples would go there, and they'd carry on discussions, and the apostles' teaching And I want to mention that apostles' teaching, you know, they only had Old Testament books. They didn't have New Testament. So they weren't getting up and and talking about this. And they weren't talking about some of the passages I'll read. They were talking about what the apostles had taught, what they'd heard Jesus pass on to them. So those were the teachings that they were offering to the people and having discussions about. And it says they offered prayer there. I mean, offered praise to God there. But the thing is, Luke says they were doing this every day. That's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. These were people who had households to maintain. These were people who had jobs to carry on, livings to make. These were people very much like us who had kids to watch after. But they were doing this every day. You get the feeling when you read this that it was not a have-to experience, but a want-to experience. Didn't you feel that in the passage? There's no sense of obligation in the way he described, Dr. Luke described the early church. Well, I'm thinking about the difference. Sometimes if you've raised teenagers, you might know that sometimes there are want-to mornings going to church, and sometimes there are have-to mornings going to church. Okay, you may have discovered that with little ones even. You know, it just depends on your kids and their personality. But this was a want-to moment for them. So engagement, it always starts with commitment, this showing up to grow up. But let's uh, talk about this. Their favorite place was there in that colonnade, but their fellowship is the word that's used for the experience that they had together. And fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. I actually grew up going to Camp Koinonia. And so that word was always defined for us. It means to participate, partnership, communion together. So as we engage, partner, or participate with our faith community, we experience the transforming work of Jesus in our lives. But let's talk about the elephant in the room since we're talking about that. The pandemic has changed how we do that, how we gather how we collect and connect together. You know, many people have changed their habits and new ways of being together have emerged. For some, the pandemic has rearranged our priorities. And for others, it's accelerated the decline in the participation with other believers in some form of church. Remember, I'm just using all the forms possible. In fact, the third quarter of 2020, Unstuck Church issued this report that revealed that among the churches surveyed, attendance or participation at church services was 36% what it was pre-COVID. Now, Evergreen's in-person attendance numbers are higher than this, but they have a right about 50% of what they were pre-COVID. And parenting uh, church plants as we came back to in-person gatherings is a factor in ours. And we won't apologize for that because 
Parenting churches is a part of our commitment to be multipliers. We send to extend, so that's a part of what we do. But I want to take a look with you at the Barna study research that they came out with. And I don't always use a, a thing like this, but I want us to see this. So you see the big C church across the U.S. and get a picture of what's going on. And here's some observations I'll make. 41% of Gen Z say that when COVID's over, they want to return to primarily in-person worship. That means 59% don't. 42% of millennials say they prefer primarily in-person worship. That means 58% don't. Parents of kids, especially kids who are still at home, are looking at hybrid approaches to gathering more than non-parents or people whose kids are grown. And as most of us know, the majority of boomers, many more, still prefer in-person but only a minority of millennial Gen Z and Gen X want to primarily gather in person in the future. Now, what does all of this mean when I talk about showing up to grow up, which is what the early church shows us? The church is emerging from the pandemic in different forms. Some of them are wholly digital. That's all online. Others are hybrid, which is a blend of both. And still others are in person. And each of these is to engage in a faith community. And Evergreen is a part of this. You know, we're engaged in preparing a fully, fully digital expression of church while offering hybrid and in-person. And we hope to have the studio that we're outfitting finished in a few weeks. And then we'll begin filming a podcast that'll be part of reaching an online community of young families and their kids as we prepare to plant a digital church. The podcast won't be the plant, it's the precursor. It's the appetizer to it. It's the attracting those people to it by talking about things that they're interested in, in this podcast. Now, you may have noticed that there are people in every generation that still want to gather in person for a faith community experience. Because 41% of Gen Z, 42% of of generation millennials and 70-some percent of boomers and Gen Xers are right in there as well in between the millennials and the boomers. That's a lot of people that still want to meet in person. So what we're talking about is not instead of, it's a both and. It's the form of church is, a, is socially and culturally informed. It has been across the centuries. There's many, many ways to accomplish church. And a lot of those have been tied to, uh, to cultural constructs. And it's true in our day. And COVID has accelerated that process. So the digital church plant is not instead of, but in addition to the in-person. So why is all of this so important? Because the non-negotiable for every believer in Jesus is growing in our relationship with Jesus, being transformed by him and being on mission with him. And that happens best in community, whatever form that takes. And the form that the community takes can vary widely. I want to share a couple examples with you this morning. Remember, we're trying to help God lift us up to see some of the things he's seen in Big C Church and where we're going together. So Joe Franz planted brewmasters, or brewpastors, excuse me, .com. That's right, I have the website up here. Um, it's got a much prettier thing at the top, but this is on the home page. And 
I got to hear him this last week while we were in Chicago and got to have dinner with him and just talk with him about this. But he noticed how many meaningful conversations he was having while having a a brew, a beer at his local brewery. So he did some research and he learned that 75% of Americans that are drinking age, that is 21 and above, he didn't go for the younger ages, um, live within 10 miles of a brewery. So God began to show him how he could tap into this collection of people and take church to the brewery instead of getting the people there to come to another place. And thus, Brew Pastors was born, and he was the first brew pastor. He builds relationships with the breweries, and he begins to serve them, and he begins to meet people there. And online, he offers a way for them to contact him um, if they need somebody to listen to him. And so a lot of the relationships start online, and then they meet for a beer, and then they start talking over that about the things that they're struggling with. And he builds relationships with the brewery, and they serve the communities that the breweries are in. They go and help the breweries with their functions, not with functions they plan. But if the brewery wants to do a festival, then they help with it. They go around, set up tents, and sweep, and you name it. They do clean, they'll do anything that helps that brewmaster. And they build these relationships and serve them in the community they're in. And then, as the relationships develop, he and other brew pastors have now started beer and Bible groups. I bet you never thought those two would go together. Okay, I'll just say I didn't. Okay, he started, and everybody who knows me thinks that's funny. He started in Canton, Ohio, and it is growing. It is, there are multiple locations in Ohio, and there are now um, sites in seven other states, and people are coming to Jesus. So I want you to know something. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I can have an attitude about alcohol. So um, I grew up with a dad who's an alcoholic, and so when I first had Joe get up there and share his story with us in the group, I'm just going to be perfectly honest and tell you what was going through my mind and the tone that it was being thought of in my mind. I thought, oh great, just what the world needs, more reinforcement in medicating their pain and anxiety with alcohol. That's what I thought. So I was a skeptic at best when he started and really through about halfway of the the presentation, then the Lord reminded me of how I used to pray that some Christian guys that I knew would go to the bars that my dad hung out at regularly and would sit down next to him and have a beer with him and start talking to him and listening to his story and perhaps engage him in his pain. You know, I had a couple pastors come visit my house to see my dad, and my dad chased him off our property. You see, that strategy of going straight to the home, that that wasn't going to work for my dad And I used to literally pray this, and what God showed me is, hey, Ann, this is an answer to prayer. It's not for your dad, but it's for other people's. People who are struggling with pain and low self-regard and all sorts of other things that, that drive people to drink more than they should or to seek solace and alcohol instead of in Jesus. And so, I mean, halfway through, I was like, this is cool. This is awesome what he's doing. I was really grateful for it. And that night, I got to have dinner with him, and we were just all talking together at the table, and I said, I just have one question. I want to know, what do you do if you discover somebody's really struggling with alcohol? Because a lot of people aren't. They're just having a beer on their way home from work, right? They're kind of 
uh, what do you say, diffusing, uh, downloading before they go home. And so I asked him that, and he said, well, you'll notice that Celebrate Recovery is a button on our on our site, and he says, we honestly haven't encountered as many yet. He said, but I, I think I've just met my first one. But he's, but he's not going right to that, because it's a relationship. That's what Jesus does. And so, I mean, this was just exciting to me. Well, Brew Pastors is a hybrid. Um, it has both in-person experience and online, and you'll see it if you go on and search out the website. You'll see some of that. Maybe God's gonna call some of you to be a Brew Pastor. So can people experience the full discipleship pathway in a digital faith community? That's the question being asked by a lot of leaders and pastors right now. And those are great questions to ask. Jared and I recently launched a nonprofit called Sprout Digital to do research on this very question of all the current digital-only church plants in the U.S. and discover the answers to some of the questions we have about that. Can they really fulfill all the parts of the discipleship pathway? How will they accomplish baptism, the, the public declaration of their faith in front of others? There's just a whole lot of questions. So the first study results are due the end of October. The data has now has been mined, and now they're putting it all together, a whole series researching and interviewing all of these planters. But the early stories emerging from these churches are both encouraging and convincing that God is up to something with this. And both and approach instead of an either or. I want to tell you about one. Mark is 33 years old, and he's been a gamer since he was a young kid. He has always liked gaming, and he's tried to beat it in his life. Literally, he's a youth pastor for the 12 years prior to what he's doing now. And during that time, he always felt a little guilty about the fact that he liked gaming. He used it. That was his uh, decompress when he came home. Do a little bit of gaming, and then you know join with the family. And he was always trying to get rid of it. And God said, no, I want to use it. In fact, I want you to plant a church online for gamers on Discord. And so that's what he did. And he was the heir apparent. He was supposed to follow the lead pastor. The lead pastor wasn't as excited as Mark was about him becoming an online digital church planner on a gaming platform. Let me just put that out there for you. Um, and he started this with gamers his people, and he did it by starting with a podcast, a podcast that was completely unrelated to church. It was about gaming, and he'd have you know, famous people in the gaming world inter be interviewed because you can do it all online, right? And people were excited to do that. And then, though, at the end of each podcast, he comes on, just him, and says, are you going through something hard in your life right now? Do you need somebody to listen? Here's, my, here's how you can contact me. I'd love to be that person. And that's what he did over and over, every week, week after week. And, of course, they built a following with all the other, but that started people reaching out to him, asking for him to listen to their story. And one of the couples reached out was Katie and Mike. And they're a young gaming couple who both came up in very dysfunctional um, broken families, and their personal lives where they didn't know Jesus, their lives were messed up with a lot of things that mess up kids' lives when they come out of those kind of broken situations, and they connected with him after one of those podcasts, each of them individually, and he started listening to their stories, and he started talking with them about Jesus, and he just started by asking, can I pray for you? And that's what he did. Well, it kept unfolding, this relationship, and Katie and Mike had a baby, 
and they still hadn't, they were just coming to faith in Jesus, and the baby's name was Weston. And Weston, um, Mike knew, did not know how to be a dad. He never really had a dad. That was part of his story, and so he didn't know how to parent. And so now our friend Mark is mentoring him in how to be a parent to his son. And he and Katie have come to faith in Christ. And Mark says, the one thing I haven't figured out to my satisfaction is how to baptize online. He said, I've gotten a lot of answers about what we could do. Use bathtubs, hot tubs, etc. None of it really satisfies me yet. He said, I'm working on that. That's just one story. Jesus is using the digital road to create communities where people can engage with his church and participate with others in following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and being on mission with Jesus. And right now, friends, we have more options than we've ever had to show up so we can grow up. So how much you show up is your point of engagement. Jared and I uh, love to go to our gym, Orange Theory, and work out. And people ask, often ask us this question, why do you love that so much? Well, we have the same answer again, because you have to make only one decision, show up. And they've got the workout ready for you, you've got your coach right there, all the equipment's put together. I mean, you don't have to do anything but show up. Well, since we started, we learned there is one other thing. You know that effort thing? That's the other part of engagement, right? So we show up. But guess what? If we didn't show up, there would be no effort to be had because we would never get there. So showing up is the big deal. That's why we're talking about it today. We have only one decision to make to start the whole thing moving forward. That's what happened for Mark's friends, Katie and Mike. They made the one step. They showed up online to his podcast. Then they showed up online by connecting with him in the means that he gave him. And that's what we're invited to do. And that's what we're invited to help others do. The, the decision to show up affects all other decisions around engagement. So you show up to grow up. And then you give to love together. The early believers shared a lot more than just their stories and their meals and their, and their teaching with each other. They shared their stuff. This means both their possessions and their real estate. They gave out of their means to supply what was needed by others. Now, this was a pretty radical idea in the first century for the Christians, but it's an courageously radical idea for 21st century Western Christians. Christians. It was absolutely counterculture to our culture. John wrote these words in 1 John 3, 17 through 18, which Bo reminded us of a few weeks ago. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Friends, the early church didn't have this scripture yet. It hadn't been written. They didn't have those words being said to them. We do. They had watched how Jesus loved others. Said he went about doing good and helping and healing and freeing all those who were oppressed by the devil. They watched Jesus do all sorts of need, meet all sorts of needs, physical, emotional, spiritual, and material. That's what they had to go on. Evergreen gets to give to love. 
together. See, together is better when it comes to giving, too. A few weeks ago, a family of seven with limited means lost their, were told they had to leave their home. They had 30 days to find a new rental. And with seven people on a limited income, that's not easy in our region because everything is so high-priced. And Evergreen was able to help them with transitional housing costs as they made the move from that rental to find the next one. And of course, they engaged with all sorts of agencies and things, but there was no one to help in that gap, and we could do that. Now, in November, we get to love our Precariously House students with Christmas gift bags, which, depending on how many we do, might be valued at as much as $40,000. You see, most people spend about $100 on each bag to love these kids well. Well, we've also been able to provide stoves for ventilation in the, all the homes in Chicolte, our village there, so that they don't have to suffer respiratory illnesses that we don't even think about because they were living in smoke-filled rooms. But here's the great news, you guys. In November, we're going to give again so that we can purchase the final 17 stoves, and every home in Chicolte will then have a ventilated cooking stove. How cool is that? That's what God lets us do. And we also get to be a part of helping them get some additional protein, a regular source of protein in their diets. You see, corn's the main crop, and the other crops are all great. It's great having veggies. They've worked with all the villagers to have a garden, but that doesn't get them a lot of protein. And so for this, we're going to be purchasing, along with their contribution, two chickens for every household to get them going in this, in the village. That's what we do. And will we have to sacrifice to do that? Yeah, we will. Probably have to cut our Christmas budget, right? In order to say yes to giving, we'll get rid of, we'll go without some things, just like this early church did. So week in, week out, we discover needs. We don't even talk about them all the time here, but regularly, almost weekly, we're able to help somebody who's in need. We get those calls. So, Week in, week out, we like to give to love people like Jesus did. And that's the church in action in God's big world. And that's evergreen in action in God's big world. We show up to grow up, and we give to love. And thirdly, we go small or go group to celebrate together. After these temple gatherings, which were larger, then the crowd moved to homes, Luke wrote, to share a meal together and celebrate what God was doing in their lives. Now, the word there he uses for uh, for the meal or the food is really the word for an ordinary meal. You know, some people uh, think that, yes, when it was Passover time, it probably was special. Kind of like we do special things at holidays. They did as well. But generally, this was just sharing a meal together, and it probably included communion too, especially if we look at the example of the Corinthian church where Paul talks to them about their love feast where some people weren't getting any food because they weren't share the other people who had food weren't sharing right? It was a regular part of taking communion and food together. But the thing that you pick up in this is that Luke's description talks about the glad and sincere hearts that they did this. So this was not forced. This was not, oh no, we're having so-and-so for dinner tomorrow night. Oh no, why did we say we would do that? Have those four couples over. 
Okay, see, I can tell we've all, okay, let's just be real. Have we ever thought that? Okay, we have the want to and the have to, or the why did I open my big mouth moments, right? But that's not what this was. They wanted to be together, and they wanted to talk about what God was doing. They were not forced. It's, these were things that just were being birthed. They just emerged. They were so excited. They took some people home with them from church and did more fun together. So Evergreen has done this in a variety of ways, and I think you know that we're really intentional about the things that we do or don't do. And one of those things that we've always done uh, since we came is hospitality in the lobby after every service, and COVID interrupted that, but um, we actually take that from this verse. It was our way to do an appetizer, not the full meal deal, but an appetizer that after service, you'd go out in the lobby, and this did happen. People stayed a long time after services and would enjoy food together. And I had a lot of prayers there or coming back into the auditorium to sit down in a chair in the back. So letting you know that that um, has been a part of our life. But again, this form is not sacred. And the experience of sharing our story in a smaller context, praying for one another, asking for help, and being known, that's all part of what makes small groups so wonderful and what makes our group fair that we're going to, have to, we're going to do today so wonderful. And for those of you online, you can access it there as well. This is an opportunity for each one of us to engage with people more deeply than you might in the larger in-person experience. Each one of us has that option. Large and small was the pattern of the early church, and it's the pattern that's been repeated in many forms, all different kinds of ways across the century. So digital has just been given to us as an additional format together, small or large. And if you're wondering how people are doing food on digital, they're encouraging people to bring their meal to the, to the online meeting, to the Zoom. You know, grab your burger, grab your sandwich, whatever it is, and let's eat together. And they'll sit there and eat and talk as though they were sitting in person. It works for some people, folks, so just letting you know. We show up to grow up. We give to love. We go small or go group to celebrate. Fourthly, the fourth experience that they were devoted to was to pray to engage God together. So we love the Lord's Prayer um, and we pray it a, a lot around here. Have you ever noticed, though, when you read the Lord's Prayer, that every pronoun that refers to you and I is plural in the Lord's Prayer? Let me just review that with you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one now here's the interesting thing about this this was jesus teaching on how to pray right here and what i see is jesus is even in teaching his disciples how to pray reminded them that prayer is an us experience not just a me experience it's a we experience as well you see praying together praying alone's great but praying together is powerful and effective and james 5:14 through 16 says this is anyone among you sick let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the lord will raise them up and if they've sinned they'll be forgiven Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's why I carry 
a bottle of oil with me in my purse wherever I go. And if I go someplace where I'm not going to be uh, carrying a purse, I can put it in my pocket, making sure it's sealed well, of course. <laughs> so agreeing together about a particular request is also powerful. It's great when we seek God on our own, but it's wonderful when we're willing to let somebody else pray with us about that. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree are of one mind in harmony about anything that they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Praying together is a powerful opportunity for not only the requests that you make, but as we pray together, we remember that prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. So when I pray in a small group, the cool thing about that is there's an opportunity to participate at another level, and that's this, that as we're praying and we're listening for what God's saying, then we receive gifts of the Holy Spirit that he wants us to share with us. Gifts of healing, gifts of cures, gifts of discernment, gifts of discernment of spirits, gifts of miracles, lots of gifts, prophetic gifts that have to do with a word of encouragement for people. And we're able to share those as that time of prayer ends. It just extends into this wonderful sharing of the Holy Spirit distributing gifts as he will to be shared with the whole. So I want to encourage you about that. Agreeing together is powerful, but so is praying together. It's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be expressed through one another in some beautiful ways. So the early believers were committed to these four experiences. They were engaged in them. We show up to grow up. We give to love together. We go small to celebrate together, and we pray to engage God. Back to the verb that summarizes the early believer's experience. Engage. To participate in, to be involved in, to capture the interest, attention, and full participation in something. I want, you, I want to give you three questions to reflect on today. Now, you can put this in your notes. You can respond to it, or you can write it down um, later, or you can put it in your phone. Three questions for you to reflect on wherever you are. Question number one, I'm going to ask you to do, be a teacher for a minute, except for the only person you're grading is yourself. That's to give yourself a percentage on each of these four experiences. Remember that online, in-person, and hybrid all count. I'm going to invite you to give yourself a percentage for each one of these that comprise your faith community experience. So we show up to grow up. What percentage would you give? Zero to 100%. We give to love. What does that look like for you? Giving is always about time, talent, and treasure. We go small to celebrate. That's your participation in a small group of some kind. It doesn't have to be organized by us. We pray to engage God together praying with others in the community of faith. I'd like you to give your, take just a minute and give yourself a percentage on those. So question number two, where do you need to increase your engagement? Which of those four experiences could you grow your engagement? Could you bring more frequency and effort to? And what that looks like. 
Which of those four? Here's the cool thing. God doesn't work on us on everything at once. So I'm just asking you to identify one area. What would you say is the area you most need to grow? And as you always get leverage by working on the weakest piece that you have when it comes to engagement. And question number three is what is holding you back in that particular area? What's the thing that's been getting in your way? So I want to mention the thing that I see um, in, uh, for uh, believers. There's many things that we could talk about there. One is priorities that people have and um, arranging their priorities, putting, not having the long view when they make decisions about fellowship taking the short view, which is what's happening in my life right now at this time with my kids, with sports, with this, with that. Just name, it could be all kinds of things. It can be amazingly awesome good things, which those are. Um, but taking the, the short view instead of the long view. But there's another one. It's called church wounds. So some people have a very measured participation in faith community engagement in all its forms because of wounds that they've experienced. We've all experienced that. You know, we got this description of the church. Now, move ahead. Keep reading. In the book of Acts, keep reading in First and Second Corinthians. Keep reading about the church at Rome. Keep reading in Philippi because you know what you find? you find that things got messy really fast. This was the start. It was exciting. It was new. And then real life set in, okay? And just like the, the Greek widows not being served, right? And they had conflicts. You start with the church at, at Corinth. I mean, this was the place where Paul spent the most time to plant that church, and he ended up having to write to him about sexual immorality, about um, mistreating people, about not, uh, not accepting and loving everybody, not sharing what you had with people, which we just read about, right? They were doing so well at. It didn't take long for problems to ensue. If you look at the church at Philippi, that's a church filled with joy, and yet what happened there? Some people were going off preaching about Jesus to try to bug Paul, just, not because they loved Jesus, but because they wanted to bug him, make him mad. And what does he say? Just as long as Christ is preached. And two of the female leaders there, Yodia and Syntek weren't getting along. And Paul was having to write to him to get along. You read through the stories of these people who started here in Jerusalem in this wonderful scenario, and you see that it was big and messy. So I just want to say that's happened to us all. We've all been hurt. And I know for Jared and I, in one of our most hurtful things, the, the thing that I just kept saying is keep your head down and follow Jesus. Because this is the thing, the enemy of our soul wants to drive a wedge between us and Jesus always, always. And he'll do it any way he can. And he knows that full engagement in the body of Christ, a body, not a dismembered body, a connected body, full engagement, which is to stay connected no matter what, is something that will move us closer to Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you today, if that's your story, if that's what you thought, came up with for your what is holding you back, forgive it's the only answer for all the hurts that happen to us is to let it go. As we've been talking about, Bo talked about it, Joe talked about it. It's been kind of a theme, but I think it's an important theme in moving forward with Jesus always because the enemy uses people like you and me. I disappoint you. Jared will disappoint you. We'll hurt you. We'll say something, leave you out of something, include you in something that you didn't want to be. That'll happen. 
we are imperfect people too, and all of us are together. But if we commit, if we believe in the, in the together that the gospel means for us to have, that Jesus intended, that we will be a transformed people on mission with Jesus, living and giving and loving together. And that's what we want for Evergreen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just thank you for this amazing group of people. Lord, with a whole array of stories about where they're at in life and the ages of their kids and the schedules that they experience. And Lord, in the middle of all that, I'm just asking, Lord, that you would come in and just help them to see the future with you and see the ways that you want to stretch them and grow them and allow them to be your church together with all of us, Lord, that we would be the church that shows up to grow up, Lord, in all its forms, hybrid, in-person, and online, Lord. We want to be the church of Jesus, helping people live transformed lives and living on mission with you. Would you help us this week to see that one area you gave us that we could grow our engagement in and what we need to do to do that. We thank you for helping us in Jesus' name. Amen.